0: The AI and Industry Podcast is all about transferable lessons. We like our listeners to be able to walk away from an episode, whether they're listening to it in their morning jog or their morning commute and sort of go about their business day being able to make better decisions, finding ways to gain leverage over the competition and lead their companies in a more intelligent fashion. And sometimes that involves talking to other business leaders, talking to vendor companies, talking to researchers, or talking to investors who get to see a lot of companies succeed and fail when it comes to applying AI into the enterprise. Today, we speak with Andrew Burns, who's an investment director with Comet Labs in San Francisco. I had uh, interviewed another investor at Comet Labs nearly two years ago, sort of stayed in touch with them, was lucky enough to visit their HQ back when I lived in San Francisco. And I decided to speak with Andrew about competitive edge with artificial intelligence. When companies adopt AI, not just in a way that makes it a project, not just in a way that makes it an initiative, but in a way that makes it a competitive advantage, what does that look like? What does it look like to adopt AI in a way that's explicitly sort of directed to beat out the competition, to win market share, to win within a market? And Andrew kind of breaks down the idea into two buckets, two categories here. Automation, where a company finds entire aspects of their business that they can full-blown hand off to machines, and augmentation elements of sort of human resources that we can upgrade, that we can enhance so that people can get more done or act more effectively on the job. Again, Andrew emphasizes not just sort of where those opportunities often are, but how companies can turn that into kind of a flywheel of ongoing advantage ahead of the competition in terms of internal competence and learning within the organization and in terms of what can actually be done with AI when it comes to automation and augmentation. So I think when it comes to AI strategy, this should be an interesting episode for people sort of thinking through where should the priorities be in our business between automation and augmentation there's some cool food for thought at the end of this episode that I hope will be useful for all of our listeners who are tuned in. We touch on a lot of different sectors in this episode, by the way. If you wanna go deeper into, you know, we talk about energy, we talk about heavy industry, financial services, as mentioned, make sure when you're on emerge.com, that's E-M-E-R-J.com, that's, that's our main website. We're the ones that host AI and industry. Um, hover over, browse by topic, and you can see industries on the left-hand side there and kind of dive into any of these specific spaces. We touch very lightly on a lot of industries in this sector and we move pretty quick. So if you want to go deeper, that's the place to sort of find deep dives into the topics. Without further ado, this is Andrew Burns with Comet Labs. I'm Dan Fagella, your host here on the AI and Industry Podcast. Without further ado, let's roll right in. So Andrew, we'll kick things off in this sort of theme of competitive advantage with artificial intelligence on the topic of automation. Before we get into augmentation, we'll talk about automation. When you think about where the automation of processes can really sort of expand the moat from a business and its competitors, what are those high leverage points and and where do you see that being a genuinely exciting, not just an incremental change, but a really exciting change for companies?
1: I see automation of industrial processes being something that's being adopted with an increasing rate. We work with a lot of corporations in the U.S., but also a lot in, in Asia. So the rate of adoption of deploying automation technologies really like in heavy industry, manufacturing. That's increasing at a good clip. The word of caution that that I throw to everybody is... What you're automating needs to be very, very specific. There's a lot of misconceptions of what AI and machine learning can and can't do. Um, In a lot of instances, these tools are really brittle. And they're very good at one very narrow specific thing, you know, like for anomaly detection in an industrial setting, like a, a vibration or a, like a, a flick of a light. So so being very specific about what the purpose is of the deployed technology in a given industry vertical is very important for being able to understand and create value from that automation in uh, in a specific industry.
0: Yeah, it completely makes sense. I mean, you can't just say, hey, can we apply automation here? Like, no, you, you don't really just talk about it at a concept. You know, you, you find a discrete yeah, individual
1: no. process to nail, right? Very much. No. And we, and we have that conversation a lot of you're saying, like, yeah, we, we love AI. We want to do it. No, enter, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. So, our, so we, our, our
0: audience has had that beaten out of them long, long ago. So. Okay,
1: good. We still talk to, to people who haven't had that beaten out of them.
0: Yeah, okay. So you know, picking succinct, discrete processes. You had mentioned before we started recording here that there are times where, and maybe we can stick with heavy industry because I know you folks invest in that space, where adopting this technology early might provide a bit of an advantage. I imagine there might be companies who start small, start with individual discrete processes and and are able to build kind of a whole cadre of different automated systems within their business to reduce costs while maybe other businesses kind of aren't yet there. And maybe they're able to then use that extra bottom line to invest in better technology and kind of uh, spin a bit of a flywheel of advantage over their competitors, where do you see automation really making the difference between kind of winners and losers in, you know, maybe we'll stick with heavy industry for now or whatever you like. But, you know, when do you see it as something that, that really can, you know, separate someone out as, as someone who wins in a sector versus kind of like, oh, just one other project we got going on amongst
1: many? Let me let me pick energy. Um, sure. Yeah, let's, do that. As, as let's one, do that. as one market that like I'm digging into now, the future of energy is in, in really around like electricity grids. It is in like full automation. But moving towards that big goal at the end of complete automation of a grid operation, that's not possible today. The winners in the space are the ones who are adopting the tools today to help them automate bit by bit. And it's being able to solve problems across the spectrum of engineering challenges, from actually capturing data to ingesting the data to analyzing the data. And then to providing action based on patterns in the data for whatever action that you want to, that you want to perform. But it's being able to start at step one. Those are actually some of the groups that we see that are, that are already positioning themselves to be the winner because they're already making the mistakes that everyone else is going to have to make. Uh, when when they're adopting these technologies as they go down that path towards ever increasing automation they're just positioning themselves for success
0: and it sounds like there's two parts of that andrew one of them is they're actually potentially if they do it right and of course these are You know, as you know better than I, uh, or as well as I, a lot of these are lengthy processes. You know, if we're talking about an energy grid or we're talking about, you know, a a huge manufacturing firm to from scratch get predictive maintenance off the ground or, you know, automate sort of the handling of certain kinds of materials or or the functioning of certain kinds of machinery or, you know, whatever the case may be in, in an energy grid, this is tough and like you said there's going to be a lot of hard lessons learned but if we can get to different vistas of automation maybe we can pull ourselves ahead in terms of profit margin at the end of every given month but the other important part here you know when you're talking about who's setting themselves up for success you know against competitors certainly the people who can automate more and then free up their human resources to do more important stuff cool that's that's a great box check another element that you kind of brought up was people developing these skills, learning these lessons. So there's kind of like an organizational culture and skill upgrade yep. game that kind of goes along with, you know, it, it almost feels to me like the latter is in some cases more important than the former. Um, yep. Because if, if, if you know how to talk data, you know, your IT team is not stuck in only purely engineering. They understand how to iterate. They understand how to integrate with machine learning stuff because you've learned those hard lessons. Feels like that could almost be more helpful than an individual project.
1: Very much, right? And and that that colors our investment theses actually, and how we invest in in our portfolio companies. It is very rarely do we invest in pure like machine learning experts, like a room full of PhDs in machine learning. There has to be industry specific knowledge yeah. inside of these startups for them to be successful. Again, like that's what I see that these successful corporate groups are the ones that are ingesting that sooner rather than later.
0: So if you yeah. can, if people can get started with these projects, they can begin to shift the culture to have a mix of both the data science folks and the subject matter experts who can actually yep. speak. There's connective tissue there, and now they yep. can move adjust faster. And that might even be the ROI. No matter what happens with your first two or three projects, if you're a gigantic company, you know making that that important culture shift might be an advantage. that's right. So okay, cool. And an important point, take home point, I think, Andrew, for the folks listening in is. You know, you folks are venture capitalists. Most of our listeners are not. They work within larger enterprises or smaller firms. But the lesson here is, you know, we can't just hire people with the fancy, dancy PhDs from Carnegie Mellon and Stanford and expect the problems to be solved. There has to be a tremendous osmosis in terms of the business processes with the science. And to many degrees, that, that's what makes this a hard problem. That's what makes AI hard to move into sectors. Yeah. It sounds like that's probably why you folks look for both.
1: Yeah, so I went to Stanford and so Stanford kids are very good at solving very good problems, very big problems. Yeah. So I I don't know. A lot of it with like when with industry applied artificial intelligence, so much of it comes down to not just what the the core capability. So if you hire a data scientist from Stanford, right? They they they're, they're going to be a breathtakingly amazing data scientist, but they may not have the insights on product. Um, and how it integrates inside of your industrial processes yeah. to make for something that can be deployed and start generating value today. That's where the value is of collaborating with startups and working outside of an industry is they may have created that best fit, well-designed product. That can integrate into into business practices. Yeah, leveraging the value of of machine learning and AI.
0: Yeah, your fellow straight out of, you know, focusing on data science for, you know, a masters or whatnot at Stanford is gonna get that game pretty well, but may take a little while or may need another team member who's an expert in, let's say, anti money laundering or in manufacturing right. to be able to to really go out and, and directly apply it to those issues. So so this is That's automation. Right. We talked about big companies where physical process automation could be a big lever. There's an advantage to having more bottom line. And there's also an advantage to building the kinds of a connective tissue between data scientists and subject matter experts so that your IT and your business can actually absorb and build out on Uh, new automation capabilities as they emerge. And there's almost a a flywheel there that could keep companies ahead of their competition in terms of ability to move. A second part of this is the augmentation game, not necessarily taking a human out of a process, but making an individual person vastly more capable. I think the future is going to involve a lot of both. I think anybody, anybody who says everything will be automated. Uh, Well, you know, in a long enough time horizon, maybe, but not, you know, soon enough. Anybody who says everything will be augmented is probably just trying to make companies that are overbloated with employees doing repetitive things, feel better about themselves. I think there's going to be a mix. So augmentation as a genuine competitive advantage, where do you see that being the biggest lever? What are the spaces that need augmentation most to kind of leap ahead in terms of competition?
1: Most industries, I think augmenting the, the performance and the efficiency of individual workers and, and also the adaptability of individual employees to, to perform different tasks. I see those as being extremely important innovations and, and value add to industry and society for tools like machine learning and A.I., in venture capital there's more and more funds like with investments theses really around like making individuals turn into superheroes huh um, I, i'm
0: actually i'm very familiar with vc firms focused on ai but not so familiar with them that have theses on this turn person into superhero what do you yeah, mean by that
1: those are coming up and some people are investing in human machine interface But then a lot of them are also investing in robotic process automation, which is now like a very hot topic in the Valley, even though it's a relatively old topic in deploying. But there, the concepts are similar. It's offloading a lot of those super repetitive tasks. So an individual employee can be more effective. And we see that with the fastest traction is happening in like sales, sales and customer relations work experiences. Huh. Okay.
0: Yeah. Why do you think that is? I mean, I'd love, A, a couple, just a fistful of examples if you have them. And then, B, maybe a thought as to why that is the space where you're seeing this augmentation happen.
1: Yeah. So, I can answer the second one faster. Um, okay. It it's just goes down to bottom line of of making internal teams more efficient at performing their jobs. For example, like a sales team like an inside sales operation inside of a bank or an insurance agency or what have you, giving them automation tools that can have them focusing on the work that generates value, i.e. doing sales calls um, and closing deals, that like back-of-office technology and support that is increasingly valuable for companies because it increases the sales volume per individual employee. Anything that adds to top line, I guess, makes sense, right? So yeah, right. And and so those are going to be those are going to be lowest hanging fruit. And it's just a very obvious value add for adopting those technologies. The winners in the space on the startup side are really the companies I go back to it, the ones focusing on product, and how it integrates with existing customer with like existing employee workflows. Yeah, Um, those are the the most exciting companies in that augmentation space.
0: You know, to touch on something you mentioned before, that's such a different thing than just having a PhD from Carnegie Mellon. Yeah. Um, you know, is like, well, how does a sales manager manage a sales team when you're selling you know, SaaS products to the enterprise. Like, well, if you don't know that, then having some neat algorithms is is sort of like not going to cut the mustard. So like you said, you have to have a Lego piece that's going to fit into, you know, the existing enterprise. Uh, You know, even if you would like to revolutionize it, maybe it should be revolutionized. It's just unlikely you're going to get traction doing that. So finding a place to fit in makes sense. And you're saying that places where you're seeing a lot of traction here would be kind of customer service and in sales. Uh, Feeding the top line totally makes sense. The other reason, maybe tell me if I'm, I'm right or wrong here, but one reason I'm imagining a lot of customer service and sales teams sort of seeing this kind of augmentation is because there's just a lot of that in any given company. Almost every company sells and almost every company has to deal with customer service while the operations are so different. So a pharma company is going to have different you know, uh, white collar work than an insurance firm, than a manufacturing company, than an e-commerce store. And so it seems like if you just take all the use cases of this augmentation uh, and you put them all on a table, it doesn't surprise me that the lump of customer service and sales are highest because there's just the most of those across sectors. Is it possible that that's just kind of the signal that comes out? Or do you genuinely think there's just more freaking opportunity there? Like, is it it an an anomaly just from the fact that a lot of industries have those functions? Or is it that those functions really are low hanging fruit, like you said?
1: Yeah, I do think they're low hanging fruit. I think the value is across industries, which is always something like you really want in our universe, you want to find those companies that can either dominate a specific market or be a part of many markets. Yeah. On the engineering side, it's actually they're, they're actually easier problems to solve technically. Huh, okay, um, how do you mean? Yeah. So the example I have in mind is, is one of our portfolio companies. This is called Sales Hero. And part of what they do is they just automate highly repetitive tasks that are very specific to sales teams. It's like transcribing information from a conversation, finding instantly searchable information out of PDFs to like get back into conversations, to give the sales teams cues on when to contact people, things like that. On the scale of difficulty for problems that machine learning is being deployed to solve in AI, that is relatively low. Whereas, if you flip to the other side, and I think like like a pharmaceutical company trying to do like trying to, trying to deploy machine learning for drug discovery, harder. That's problem. a much di- more yeah. difficult problem, <laughs> yeah. right? And, it, and it, it's going to go back into like like isn't this, so there, the solution is going to be very brittle very limited to pharmacy. It doesn't mean that it's not extremely valuable, uh, because pharmacy in itself is a very big market and there's hundreds of companies going out and doing specifically that, right? Like machine learning for drug discovery. But but I'd argue that the engineering challenge and the, the data science challenge is significantly more difficult there than in solving these like relatively simpler problems where data can be of value in deploying a product in the near term. That could that can actually generate real-world returns for the companies adopting them.
0: I'm going to maybe close out this idea with just being wary of where we are for time, but trying to kind of take home the the core lesson here. It seems to me as though there might be a similar two-pronged advantage to augmentation. You might, A, companies that augment, sort of their most important functions that are not only low-hanging fruit technically to be augmented, but very important in terms of driving business goals, like let's say sales, Um, there's sort of an advantage to getting onto that newer tech wave earlier so that you got more bottom line or more top line along with it to push your other things forward and beat out the competition. There's that advantage. Is there also in the augmentation side, an advantage to a company being able to Get its employees used to working with these augmentation tools or, or it being able to integrate these augmentation tools. It doesn't feel like maybe it's the same degree of advantage as when a company learns how to genuinely automate portions of its business, but maybe there's still that same learning benefit. I don't know if you have an opinion here, but I could see the same two prongs maybe applying in terms of where is the advantage found. What are your thoughts there?
1: I think giving employees the ability both to automate tasks, but also to put their efforts in different tasks is something that's really exciting. We've seen a couple of things in the, actually in the AR space where you have this augmented reality, some sort of interface that's giving you instructions on how to solve a real world problem in real time, right? On like an oil pipeline, it could be, how do I fix this rivet? Well, I've never fixed the rivet, but I'm the guy here. Okay. So now if I can use technology to make me as the guy holding the screwdriver to turn the rivet, And I don't need to go out like and fly in an expert on rivets. Then, then that becomes like a really compelling, exciting tool. And the way I look at like industries adopting AI and machine learning and these new technologies, like a lot of it, it has to do with like innovation cycles and the compressing timeline around that. And you see that in the value of education is, is training like the next generation of expertise in a given field. But the rate of decay of that value is actually it's it's steepening on like an mm. individual basis. So if you can get really good learners Coming out of education systems that can then use tools to both augment their performance, but also train them to do new performing tasks quickly, then that's a compelling, valuable piece for deploying these technologies.
0: It's interesting. That you bring, I mean, it's, it's clearly true, you know, this whole idea of the, the half-life of that advantage of learning a new tool it's like it goes away. It's, it's only relevant as an ongoing skill to be able to then learn the next thing and then learn yep. the next thing. So it sounds, let me know if I can nutshell this before we wrap up, Andrew, because I want to make sure we got the right take-home messages for the, the folks tuned in. It sounds like possibly the flywheel of skills and hard lessons learned as a company, You know, it's IT and it's subject matter experts learn to automate portions of the business. That learning might sort of be more transferable and ongoing and rolling in in, as as sort of almost like a learned asset, like a culture kind of asset thing, then when we augment sort of, let's say, sales staff or customer service staff or whatnot, it's still a degree of learning, still a degree of integration, but is it safe to say maybe it's not the same degree of advantage from that learning as maybe with the automation? I'm not saying one is better than the other, by the way. I'm not making that determination. I'm just saying on the learning side, does one have probably more value to
1: the, the organization? It, it depends on the organization. If your organization is is people heavy, then probably investing in the tools that make people perform better is is going to be more valuable. If your operations is more equipment heavy, then the automation tools may be more valuable but, to that okay. specific operation.
0: But I'm, on both sides, learning to integrate, learning to leverage the next generation of stuff is, right. is an advantage on top of whatever money you make. That's right. Potentially. Cool. Okay. Well, there's a take-home lesson. I kind of like that. You know, looking at those two different prongs about automation and augmentation, I think it's up to the listeners here to get a sense of where the leverage points within their business. Are you people heavy? Are you, uh, you know, equipment heavy? I think that was a good way of framing it as well. And I think we got some nice transferable lessons. So, Andrew, that is all we had for time, but thank you so much for joining us here on AI and Industry. Great. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of AI and Industry. This is your host, Dan Vigella. I hope that we catch you next week. Many of our executive listeners often get great ideas from our podcasts or our newsletters, but they end up coming to us for more help. So they might see some research project that we did with the World Bank, and they might want to do some of their own research on deeper market opportunities for AI in a specific sector or understanding the growth rates of AI in a certain domain. Uh, They might have seen some AI business strategy work that we've done with a pharmaceutical company and maybe ask about things along those lines or see one of the presentations that we've given at the United Nations and ask if we can speak at an event. Uh, And while we certainly do... These things, Uh, we're certainly involved with clients on pretty big projects on a regular basis. A lot of the time, these messages will just end up in my personal inbox. People will find my email or they'll just find me on LinkedIn and send along a message. And this ends up being actually pretty tough to juggle at this point, given the travel schedule and given all the the client projects that we're involved in. And few people actually know, particularly people who only listen to the podcast and and aren't on Emerge.com or on the newsletter, uh, don't know that we actually have a services page that lists what we can help with. So we are not the best at everything, but in terms of what we do, which is mapping the capability space of AI and conveying that to executives in ways that help them win in the market, specific services tailored to that can be found at emerj.com services. So here at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research, we work with government departments. We work with public companies. Uh, we work with organizations who are serious about making AI a competitive advantage. And again, we actually do list sort of the programs that we have. So many of the podcast listeners don't know this. These messages end up in my inbox and then I'm you know, traveling for two weeks and I feel really bad that I get back to people later. But you can reach us through that services page or simply send along an email at services at EMERJ.com, services at EMERJ.com. From there, Dylan or Marcus or one of our team members will be able to get back to you much more quickly uh, than I would via LinkedIn. So if you're interested in doing more with what you've learned here, if you have serious business initiatives related to artificial intelligence and you want to take your organization to the next level, just simply reach us at emerge.com slash services. That's EMERJ.com services, or just email services at emerge.com that's emerge with a j so thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode next week again we're going to be diving into ai use cases and trends and conveying the transferable lessons that you can bring to your organization and i look forward to having you here next week